The following is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Parking the Bus podcast can be followed on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, or if you have an Amazon Echo by simply saying, Alexa, play the Parking the Bus podcast. Don't forget to check out the show's homepage at www.parkingthebusmedia.com. What's up, PTB Nation? Welcome to night number seven, podcast number seven. Well, episode 48, but the seventh podcast dedicated solely to Euro 2020. I'm your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinu, and it is Thursday night, June the 17th, 2021. As you know, by now, Euro 2020 being played in 2021. So a big hello to anybody listening years from now that is is doing their research or, or looking for throwbacks. Um, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening tonight. Uh, Fade My Place is here to, to uh, speak to me again. He's back, and we talk about today's three matches, three... Uh, Different matches, but we definitely once again have some good storylines to talk about. All right, we got the the story of Denmark. Okay, they they take the pitch today, their first time in a you know playing a match from the start since the heart attack to Christian Eriksen this past Saturday, and they take on a heavily favored and one of the one of the favorites to lift the trophy, Belgium in this one, the world's number one team according to the FIFA rankings, and um. They give it everything. I mean, what's not to like about this Danish side? I do fear, though, and I am concerned that, um, you know, the emotion is going to run out soon. I think that everything that has happened to them, that I struggle to, to believe that this tournament can really be such a focal point for them now when um, they've seen their friend, their comrade, their brother nearly loses life in this tournament. So, I mean, it adds perspective, but I, I'm curious. I would I, I'll love to do the research someday and read about the sports psychologist that has worked. A, I'm assuming a sports psychologist has worked with these players. And how you, how you just how do you get these guys up to play a football match after this when I'm sure they just want to go home and be with their families, enjoy a holiday, enjoy life, Enjoy each other's company. Check on their friend. Um, I would love to hear just how a sports psychologist would would uh, counsel the, these athletes at this time. And that we'll talk about that at great length in this episode. Plus, the Netherlands have a an easy victory today. Or not an easy, but a routine victory over Austria. And we also hit on the exciting match that, that started the day off with North Macedonia taking on the Ukraine. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to pay a bill on the backside. Myself and Fade My Place are going to break down uh, day seven of Euro 2020 here on the Parking the Bus podcast, part of the PTB Media Network. Don't forget to follow the PTB Media Network on Instagram and Twitter at PTB underscore media. And watch the rolling archive of all of these episodes. They're available 
um, in the blog at www.parkingthebusmedia.com. Just uh, hit, you can actually add a backslash blog to that, and it'll take you right there. Or you'll see it right there in the main page. Uh, you'll see the, the video. All seven episodes are there. You just scroll right through them. All right, we'll be right back, and we'll get right into day seven. You're listening to the Parking the Bus podcast's continuing coverage of Euro 2020 here on the PTB Media Network. What's up, PTB Nation? Welcome to episode number 48 of Parking the Bus. It is day seven. Day seven of Euro 2020. How is everyone doing tonight? How is everybody enjoying this tournament? What a tournament, right? I mean, this is getting to be just phenomenal. If you ask me, I'm loving every single minute of this because, I mean, first of all, it's a year late. (laughs) First of all, it's a year late. Um, We were expecting this tournament last year, of course, because that's when it was scheduled for. And now here we are a year later, and we finally have got crowds in the stadium. No, they're not to full capacity unless you're in Budapest. But what a difference a 33% crowd makes on a match compared to no crowd, compared to piped-in crowd noise. And let me tell you, every day this tournament gives us some kind of storyline, and we got a few today as well. What was your favorite match today? If you're watching, go ahead, get in on the chat if you if you want to, and let us know what was your favorite moment today. Was it Ukraine picking up their first win and keeping their hopes alive? Or maybe it's Kevin De Bruyne. For a lot of people, it's Kevin De Bruyne. KDB. I'm hearing from a lot of people today that enjoyed his performance, that are happy to see him back on the pitch. Happy to see him back with his teammates, obviously with his Belgium teammates. And this Belgium team is is a monster, is it not? I mean, uh, what heart. You know, tough, tough, tough match today um, against a Danish side who cannot be underestimated. You guys know how I felt about them. I talked about that last night. I talked about how, how I believed in them, even if the logic was saying otherwise. I felt that um, there was something in the stars for them today. So it may not have been meant to be, but they're not out yet. I think what's really, really interesting there, and as you look at, let me pull up the table here, you it's also scrolling through the bottom there on your screen. So actually, um, you just saw it past Denmark, the team with, with zero points right now in Group B. It is not out of the realm of possibility that they advance. Okay, they got zero points with a negative two goal difference. However, however, you've got the Netherlands, top of the group with six, as expected. Russia has three points. They have the, they have, um, no, not rope. Sorry. I am all over the place. I've had a crazy day today. I was called into my office today and I did not work from home. So I'm a little bit out of out of my normal rhythm. It's not Netherlands. Sorry, Belgium. 
They will never forgive me for that mistake. You cannot confuse the Netherlands with the with Belgium. Belgium is top of the group. Excuse me. Okay. And let me pull up my table here so I don't make that error again. Belgium is top of the group with this win today over, over Denmark. And they have six points, like we said. Um, there it is. And uh, it looks like Fade My Plays is going to be joining us in just a moment. When I, If he's ready, give me a thumbs up, and I'll, I'll bring him right in. He is ready. Here he comes. What's going on? What's going on? How are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing great. Uh, feeling great. Today was an absolutely amazing day in uh, betting for me, <laughs> as well as just a fantastic run of games that we saw, you know, start to finish. I mean, they were Great games again. Shout out mm-hmm. North Macedonia, who never yeah. lied down, even though everyone, you know, constantly expects them to underperform. But they still, I mean, they've scored 16 goals in their last seven international matches. Yeah. I mean, they're just absolutely crushing it. And personally, like from a betting perspective, I went 9-1-1 one, and one today. So feeling wow, good. What a day. <laughs> yeah, feeling good about that and just like enjoyed watching it. I was I was just about to get into this that group is just it's really really fascinating right now because tough tough uh tough night for for Denmark but yeah but it's not over it's far from over they've got uh Russia coming up in the last match yep not inconceivable that they could beat Russia no not and at all. you'd expect Belgium to beat Finland and we can run into the point to the situation where you have three teams on three points one of them is going to come mm. in second place and definitely advance yep. and another one may be able to sneak in as a third place finisher we don't know yet um as far as the goal difference goes finland is is even right now but of mm-hmm. course if they lose to belgium they will not be even they'll be negative at least one but it wouldn't surprise anybody if if belgium uh puts two or three on them especially yeah. the way they're, they're playing right and, it's crazy uh, so, to see Belgium do what they've been do what yeah. they've done, but also the impact. I mean, I know we'll get to it, but the impact of key players in a squad is just yeah. You know, I was remarkable. I was just saying I was saying to the viewers and the listeners um, what they're most. I was asking what they're most excited about. I was saying to hit up the chat mm-hmm. tonight and let us know what was the favorite part of today. And I'm getting a lot of feedback. Uh, not right this moment, but throughout the day, I was getting feedback about Kevin De Bruyne being. Mm being the the one everybody's really excited about. Great to see him back after that injury in the Champions League final. Absolutely. But this Belgian team is is a monster, isn't it? Well, I mean, it, it's one of those interesting things because obviously I come at it as a fan, but also, you know, from a betting perspective. And mm-hmm. FIFA, excuse me, UEFA has given them the world number one ranking. Mm-hmm. And they are a side that I would argue is kind of like past their prime when you look at, you know, the best players on the team four years ago was probably their peak, um, but still absolutely fantastic. And then you look at the season that Romelu Lukaku has had and Thorgan Hazard has had, and, you know, they have some fantastic, fantastic players, yet they're constantly undervalued. And Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in two games so far, they've just, it shocked me to see what 
the bookies are making, I mean, today they were plus price. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. Denmark is a strong squad, but with the horrific loss of Christian Eriksen, who is not only their stalwart, their captain, but he's their best player, their most creative player. And yet still Belgium were, you know, plus money dogs here. And, and, and yes, don't get me wrong. They weren't underdogs in the sense of uh, they were, you know, favored less than Denmark, but it's still to see them at plus money mm-hmm. when they have the players that they do. It's just unbelievable. And you can see how a single player like Kevin De Bruyne can completely turn the tide in a game where you need that extra something. You know, in match day one, they didn't need him. They were rolling. They were feeling Mm -hmm. themselves. Today, you know, Denmark came out with nothing but fire. And, you know, I was talking with a bunch of people that, you know, I I discuss uh, footy with and, and bet with. And we were saying, if we can escape, all of us, we had a big collab play today, uh, a bunch of units on Belgium. And we were saying, if we can escape to halftime at 1-0, Belgium's winning this game. Because, I mean, the way that Denmark were coming after them, they had 4.6 on the XG. And then you just see Kevin De Bruyne comes on at the half. The way that they are set up, their shape, everything changes. And, you know, what have you and I talked about all week? The Mm -hmm. way substitutions can change a game. And today they did. And it was one player that did it. Yeah. And Roberto Martinez is one of the real good managers, I think, in international football. Good, not great. Yeah, I I, I use the word good. (laughs) I use the word good intentionally there. Um, But I don't think there's really too many great national team managers. I think... The greats That's stay in the of, club yeah. game for the most part. Uh, it's a different job when you when it's the national team, and yep. it, it's more of a picking a team and the, versus necessarily. Well, you're not tra- really training a team. It's very mm-hmm. little training time. You know, you have even for this tournament, they had about two weeks together before um, before they were yep. you know playing for real. But uh, then again, when you got the kind of talent that Belgium's got, I mean. How 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 good yeah. do you have to be, right? It's interesting how that works, though, because you see certain teams where I think what must be the most difficult thing about managing a team uh, on the international level is not the fact that you don't have much time together, but the fact that your pool of talent is so much smaller. Yeah. You know, you you can only pick from a certain group of players, and of that certain group, there's not always the best option to fit with this option, but it's like, you know, I'm not going to leave out Paul Pogba from the France team because of how unbelievably amazing he is, but he mm-hmm. may not be the perfect fit with the other available French players. Now, yeah. don't get me wrong, I think France is probably the most well-balanced team mm-hmm. in the world, but I think that you see these problems come up where a team is fantastic for a three, four, five-year span while all of these players are in their prime and you can figure out a way to fit them all together. This was exactly the case in 2010 with Spain. This was 2014 and really the last 15 years with Germany. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then as some of the players age out and some of the younger players come in, they learned a different way of the game. They learned yeah. a different way to approach the game. And so sometimes that doesn't mesh and there's nothing really a manager can do when, you know, uh, apparently right now in the Croatian squad, there's a huge problem between the players with the chemistry because the young players don't respect the older players. And mm-hmm. it's like, first of all, from a football perspective, if you're a Croatian, how are you not respecting Luka Modric and Ivan Perisic? Right. Like these are some of the best players in the world, let alone your country. Uh, but also these players won the, or uh, went to the world cup final. Final, yeah. You know, like what have you, it just, it boggles my mind that that can still happen. And yet it does. And, and so 
what's a manager to do in that situation? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm, like they're exactly. not about to sit Modric or Perisic, but they can't right. sit their young, bright players. So, yeah, I, I think you're totally right. Managing the international game doesn't attract the biggest names, probably because one, it's more difficult. And of course, you make less money, but mm -hmm. you just don't have the ability to pick and choose from right. anywhere. Right, right. There's no transfer market to get players on. <laughs> yeah. So you have to be flexible. To, and I think this is where Mancini's been brilliant. Hmm. And I want to talk because you weren't here yesterday. I do want to talk about Italy before we get into oh, today. I'm into it. Because, I mean, um, yeah, Mancini found a system that worked for what he had. Whereas mm -hmm. Italy has for 100 years before that played a system. And you either fit into it or you're not in the national team. Yep. And I, they bottomed out when they missed World Cup 2018. And the rebuild had to happen or the, uh, the reset. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously Mancini was the right man for the job because look at the players he's picked. He's not necessarily going to the guys at Juventus. He's got them there. But the guys making the difference right now, you know, uh, Lacatelli, uh, Berardi, these are guys from Sassuolo. Yep. You got Immobile. Ciro Immobile from Lazio. You know, you've got players from Roma, from Atalanta. Mm -hmm. it's, it, they're coming from all over. He is going and he's, and he's picking the right pieces to put together a functioning, cohesive unit versus, mm. oh, let's get all the Italians from Juve. Let's get all the Italians from, from Inter. Let's get all the Italians from AC Milan and, and let's make a team with them, which I mm. think is what happens when, um, when national teams are based so heavily on domestic-based players, which is really rare now. I think yeah. England's the only team that's got that type of... Uh, that type of high percentage of, of domestic based players as yeah. Italy does. Um, it really, it, it's a real interesting, you know, dynamic right now in the internet. In the old days, it was, it was easy because everybody played domestically unless one or two played abroad. But yeah. And I think that plays into the style too, like you were saying, because you learn the game a different way and you play for, now you're playing for managers of all nationalities even if you're playing in England, you likely have a foreign manager. So you're learning things that was not being necessarily used 20 mm. years ago when the majority of the managers were, you know, were British. If they yeah. weren't English, they were Scottish or they were Welsh or they were Irish, whatever. Um, so it's really so you're seeing like the old identities or the the style of, for example, the Italian mm. Catenaggio or or, you know, the English kick and rush as they would say you've seen them morph into a much more modern style now a hundred percent and i think i think you kind of made a very good point is you see international managers managing you know teams that are not their home nation but mm -hmm. i think that plays into somewhat like with the team selection now you only have a small pool of players because of that you want to choose a manager that's suited to your style mm -hmm. right and i think that there are certain manager appointments that make sense for that. I think Mancini is a great example. Granted, whilst he is, you know, Italian, mm -hmm. um, he's still suited to the way that the Italian players play. Much mm -hmm. like I believed, at least when he was appointed, uh, Roberto Martinez was a very good appointment at Belgium because of the yeah. way that he is able to use the uh, quickness of wings and wingbacks and a very creative midfielder and then a hold-up striker. I mean, that is just what he's done from his days at Wigan to Chelsea, you know, I mean, yeah. that's what he's managed. So it makes a lot of sense to me. And then there's other times where you see a match that doesn't work at all and mm -hmm. a match that is someone that is a home country. And I think um, 
uh, you obviously know this, but I think Portugal's manager before last was very yeah. much like that. It was, mm -hmm. you know, a Portuguese manager and they were very much intent on getting him and his relationship with Ronaldo was pretty solid. But the way he managed uh, the team didn't Ronaldo, but also didn't suit the style of play for the Portuguese. Right. So, you know, I think that's interesting. And that's why I think Gareth Southgate is probably the most interesting uh, managerial aspect of this mm -hmm. tournament because if you were to be a normal person like you and me, not inside the English camp, mm -hmm. what the fuck is he doing at all time? Mm -hmm. Like he, it, it seems like he doesn't even know his team selection from game to game. It yeah. seems like he doesn't know who are the best players on his squad. He didn't take some of the best players in the English game for what reason we don't know. I mean, again, mm -hmm. they're batting a thousand. You can't complain, but his managerial style seems to be a mystery to every single person but himself. And if mm -hmm. he goes out and wins it, you know, more play to fair play. But it just who who are they going to run out there against Scotland? Yeah, you don't know. No idea. No, no idea. idea. And you can't you can't tell me that. Oh well, he changes his team based on his opponent. That doesn't work for anybody. No, it's no, never not, worked not when for you're England. Anybody, maybe, <laughs> but also maybe one player, maybe yeah, you know, an attacking you make player, an adjustment or a holding there, midfielder, but... something like that, but not not wholesale changes. No. And like no, Maguire, you know, he's healthy, he's going to come in, obviously. Yeah. But I just, I'm, I'm very interested to see how England do here because England are always a very talented team, but they never seem to be able to get over the hump. And ninety percent of the time, I put it down to the manager, right. Yeah, it it is interesting, and so sticking with the, with the theme of Italy, since mm. how fantastic were they yesterday? I mean, I yeah. I was like gushing on here yesterday talking about them. Oh I yeah, they they inspired my five year old to go outside and and, and practice. <laughs> he's never asked to kick a ball before. I mean, once or twice, wow. but he's never asked really with excitement that. And uh, you know, he's got two day. He watched Portugal the day before and Italy yesterday, mm. and now he's like you think I can play soccer next year? <laughs> and it's like, he, like, yeah, you just got to show it. You got to commit to not decide in the morning that, that you don't want to go, but it's, it's been just phenomenal to watch them play. I've enjoyed it so much. Yeah. Um, Jorginho in the middle of the park, just, just moving that ball, spraying that ball the way yeah. they just don't rely on any one player. And you cannot focus on anybody when you're defending against them. No. Because you'll get burned by somebody else, and you know, Insigne yep. on on that left, and, and Barella on the right. When Barella runs at players, I just I I feel this like excitement because we don't see so much of that anymore in the modern mm. game of, of the wide player that takes people on. And I like how he angles his run coming into the box a lot of times. Yeah, and what we saw yesterday with Switzerland. Was they're they're just retreating, retreating, retreating. Before you know it, he's got a shooting angle because they're so afraid of committing and being beat because they're not going to catch him. Yeah. Well, I mean, this goes straight into what you and I talked about Tuesday before the game. Is mm -hmm. you know, I was saying that I could see a similar scoreline to match yeah. day one, which it ended up being the exact same. Yeah, you called and, it. <laughs> yeah, the reason why was because I thought that the way the Swiss play is a you know. B or C version of the way the Italians play. Mm -hmm. yeah. And 
when you match up, when you have a matchup where, you know, the other team is better at doing what you do, it's hard for you to shift your entire game plan to match, you know, the fact that they're going to be doing what you were planning on doing. And we saw exactly that. Like you said, it seemed as though they weren't sitting back and absorbing pressure. They were getting pushed back and the difference is massive. And that's why you see, you know, uh, it's one of those situations where you can tell that, Italy had a fantastic game by the fact that they're three shots on target with the three goals, but they still had 13 shots on mm-hmm. half the possession. You know, yeah. uh, that, that to me says that this is a team that not only takes their chances effectively, but creates and gets those chances well. And yes, there were only three on target, but that was, you know, all they needed, but to have 13 <laughs> shots in the game and, and to be in front the entire time, I mean, you had almost an even spread of gold. Locatelli in the 26th, 52nd, mm-hmm. Immobile in the 90th. I mean, right. that that is such even distribution Roughly and domination every 30 of the minutes game. They, they scored a goal. Exactly. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. And um, it, it, they were never once under any kind of trouble. It didn't feel that way. I mean, no, it never felt that way. I mean, even with, yeah. you know, Chiellini gets that goal called back, which I, my heart broke for him. <laughs> oh man. I, the worst I feel is, uh, as you know, Leo from, uh, BTV. Yeah. He had, and he showed me the ticket. He had a $50 ticket on a plus 700 Chiellini to score. Oh man. <laughs> that, Dude, that he was, was, yeah, he was, I mean, that's the bad beat of the tournament, but yeah. Oof. And then we see Chiellini come out injured, but mm. it, you feel for the player, but it didn't affect the team at all. No, they, I mean he's, it, he's so old and right. Know, he's it, there more it won't be as a big a, difference. He's much more of a like spiritual leader or or passion leader than yeah. anything he does with the ball, you know. And yeah. uh, someone's <laughs> I I forget who said it. I think it was someone on BBC. They said doesn't matter how old Benucci and Chiellini are if you don't <laughs> if they don't have to defend for 90 minutes they they could be in their 50s because you're not going to yeah. run at them. And <laughs> that's literally exactly. like all of their touches are going forward as center backs. Mm. Yep, right, it's so, the truth. Yeah. So let's move into today. Uh, the first game of the day was the Ukraine in North uh, North Macedonia. Mm. JMP was here yesterday. He had he had uh, given some some uh, prediction to this to this uh, match, and he used the stat that you just used about uh, North Macedonia having scored at that time fifteen goals, I think, in the last six yep. and six straight um, games without a without a clean without being shut out, and that held true. He said he liked both teams to score. That came true. Um, yep. I said I like Yarmolenko to score in this one because I, I like this Ukraine team in in a sense that this is a team that we saw against the Netherlands. They don't go down easy, hmm. and they have a a spirit and a passion to to fight. And again, these these are just two teams I think that are very likable for different reasons. Yeah, very much. And man, if if Pandev's goal had stood. Hmm. We would have four Serie A players at the top of the scoring list with two goals each right now. Yeah, surprise, surprise. And all over the age of thirty, I think. Well, with the exception of Lukaku, not Lukaku, of his yeah. exact age, but but three out of the four would be over the age of thirty. Yep, and still scoring goals. Uh, what did you think of this game? I thought it was, you know, it went 
it went pretty much according to plan. I, along with JMP, uh, one of my favorite bets that I played yesterday was Ukraine to win and both teams to score. It was plus 310. You know, I did the mm-hmm. same thing when uh, North Macedonia played Austria, or excuse me, um, yeah, Austria yeah, match day one, excuse Austria. me. It was yeah. Austria and both teams to score and an even bigger price. But uh, like you said, these are two very likable teams. I mean, obviously, North Macedonia as these, you know, wonderful Cinderella stories shouldn't have even qualified. Mm-hmm. But you can see why they did, because their ability to score and they never, ever look like they have their heads down for a minute. Right. They go behind two goals. Really, it should have been three before the halftime. Mm-hmm. And they still keep coming at you and you always feel dangerous. I mean, for me and, you know, a couple of the guys, including JMP, we all had Ukraine in parlays and straight up and all that kind of stuff. And those last 30 minutes were an absolute sweat. Now, Mm -hmm. granted, you know, we did have some ridiculous Ukraine chances that didn't go in. Mm -hmm. uh, And I swear to God, this entire euros has seen more missed penalties than i care to say yeah but, I, I was just gonna uh, say that it's they're not they're not free throws in this one it's yeah it's why well i mean if you watch the nba free throws are free sure throws. sure um, <laughs> but yeah i mean it was it was a wild one and to have 13 shots on target uh you know between the two teams in the game that is exciting football to watch and i you know i'm excited for North Macedonia against the Netherlands because you're gonna have a game where the Netherlands do not need to win Mm-hmm. They they can rest players, they can sit back, they can do, you know, whatever they need to do in order to make sure that they keep their first team healthy. And don't get me wrong, I don't think they will sit back. But, you know, when you're sitting at a goal difference of three, I mean, unless Ukraine mm-hmm. beats Austria 3-0 or vice versa, I don't think the Netherlands are worried at all. Um, and I don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're going to lose to North Macedonia. I think they will win, but I think we could see another very exciting game of both teams scoring and a lot of goals. Yeah, I definitely could see that also. Um, in this Ukraine side, I I brought this up last time they played, I had Leo on that day and Mm. because he's the city supporter, I brought up Alexander (laughs) Zinchenko. And I like him a lot better in the Ukraine than I do at Man City. I, I like how he plays in midfield versus how he plays as a left back. Yeah. And uh, I I thought he was really good against the Netherlands. What was that, on Saturday or Sunday? Um, how did he look today to you? Yeah, the thing that I don't like about Zevchenko, other than the fact he's a City player, is that yeah. I feel like he... He, ha- <laughs> he has that thing about him where... Sometimes when he's pushing and pushes forward and a pass gets intercepted or someone gives the ball away, he kind of like goes and gets all upset and puts his head down and doesn't run Mm -hmm. back. And that's where against the Netherlands, that's where they were were getting caught out was Mm -hmm. when he was playing because in reality, he should be a holding midfielder, but he yeah. he would let balls go past him a little too easily. But again, that is me trying to find something wrong with him because he is a city player. I think he is extremely talented. I think it's unfortunate for him that he is, uh, you know, sitting on the bench for city. I think he'd be a very good starter elsewhere. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So I got the stat line here. And uh, we'll look. I'm looking at it, and Ukraine, as you would expect, had a little bit more possession, but a yep. lot of shots. Again, we're seeing high shot totals. I feel like in this tournament, love it. Uh, seventeen to three in favor. Uh, seventeen to thirteen, excuse me, in mm. favor of the Ukraine. Um, 
big chances six to two in favor of the Ukraine. Both teams passed about the same, almost the same amount of accurate passes, the same percentage. Uh, it looked like a pretty, pretty even matchup. And let me see here. I wanted to see the duels, but um, looks like it doesn't provide that today. But, it, you know, yeah, there, so Northern Macedonia won the duel battle. They won 44 duels to 37. I like that that uh, stat because that tells me which team is, is working harder. And I think you see that North Macedonia knows what they need to do in order to get a result. They understand who they yeah. are. They know that every neutral is behind them. And like you said, they, they're the feel-good Cinderella. You know, they're like the 16th mm-hmm. seed in the NCAA tournament in basketball yeah. uh, that you want to get behind just to see how close they can keep it. And, you know, they've through two games, they've kept it close. They've been competitive. They've not embarrassed themselves. And uh, I think, you know, like you said, I think they're going to go out there and have a lot of fun against the Netherlands because they got no pressure. They're going to go out and they're going to play. Yeah. And I think that's that's also their danger, though. Exactly what you said. The fact that nobody expects them to win a game. And I'll bet some of these teams have either that mentality. And then when they do score that, you know, then it's like, oh, God, we need to try here. But also the other thing is it's very dangerous when you think we should win this game. That adds so much pressure onto you, because if you don't win it, you know that you should have your fans mm-hmm. know that you should have. Uh, and so North Macedonia is playing with house money this entire tournament. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, let's move ahead to the next game. Then um, it is Denmark and Belgium. We started to yeah. somewhat talk about it. Um, I I said last night, I, in this one, I was thinking with my heart and not with my head because I really wanted to see Denmark pull a draw here and just yeah. stay alive. I think they're still alive. They're a long shot, but they're still alive. Uh, it, it's a very long UEFA shot. UEFA killed them, man. You, it's yeah. not their fault. UEFA killed them. Yeah, I know. I know. That's the part. That's why I think I'm rooting for them so much hmm. because I think UEFA really, they owe them a, they owe them a big apology at the end of this because yeah. that should never have happened the way it did on Saturday. And, um, but they do rally behind, you know, behind their their fallen star. Yeah. Uh, they come out in a three four three. Casper Schmeichel's in goal, obviously. Andreas Christensen, Simon Kajar, Janik uh, Vestergaard. You got four in midfield: Daniel Was, Pierre Emil Hoiberg, Thomas Delaney, and Joachim Mele. Is that how you pronounce that? Hmm. Um, Martin Braithwaite, Yusuf Paulson, and Mikhail Damsgaard up front. I mean, there's talent there, even without yeah. Christian Eriksen. You know, there's a lot of recognizable names that I think a lot of people don't even think of when they think about Denmark. Mm. Yeah, you especially know. Christensen. I always right. forget he's Danish, and then mm-hmm. I see him, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, and they get on the board early. Yusuf pa- uh, Paulson, who I, I like, I, I tend to like that player quite a bit. And yeah. they make they make a, a a battle out of this, which is exciting. And the other side, you got we talked about Belgium. You know, uh, Thibaut Courtois is the goalie. Toby Alderweireld is the right center back. Jason Denier in the center center back with uh, Jan Vertonghen, the captain, left center back, playing with three out of the back. And then Thomas Mounier, uh, Leonard Dendenker. Uh, Denka- Dunker, yep, yeah, thank you. Yuri Tielsmans and Torgan Hazard getting the start again uh, in midfield. And then up front, it's just it's a scary Dries Mertens, Romelu Lukaku, and Yannick Carrasco. I mean, that is yeah. 
that's as good of a front three as it gets in uh, the international game. And I'm a big fan of Carrasco. I thought he was instrumental mm. for Atleti this year uh, in, in a real resurgence or reemergence after having been, you know, somewhat uh, exiled to China for a, for a season or for two seasons, whatever it was. He plays his way back in, in, into form and into this national team. And, you know, this, this Belgian team has so much quality. And like you said, Martinez is a very compatible manager for the way they want to play. His philosophies mm. and theirs are very compatible and it shows. So they go in, it actually goes into halftime, like you said, with Denmark ahead 1 0 and uh, off of Paulson's goal. And, and you're thinking, well, 45 minutes to go. If they can hold them to one, maybe they'll take a point here. Yeah. But like you said, brilliant substitution to introduce Kevin De Bruyne. And younger Hazard gets on, you know, he equalizes in the 55th, the 70th. We see De Bruyne uh, score the, the go ahead. De Bruyne also had the assist on Hazard's goal. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, how, how much of, how real of a contender is Belgium for you? The thing about Belgium that I really like is the fact that you have this team that is very solid. Uh, you know, obviously Kevin De Bruyne is coming back from injury and, you know, Eden Hazard is always injured. So he's always coming back from injury, mm-hmm. but they started, I would say probably the worst we've seen this Belgium team, like mm-hmm. the first 10 minutes, especially they looked like they had never played together before in their life. They looked like they were completely lost up and down the pitch. Lukaku had zero help. I mean, they give the ball to him and there'd be no one within 25 yards of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet still they managed to hold on to that one nil. But then when you think about that was their starting 11, but coming off the bench, they have Axel Witzel, Kevin De Bruyne, Eden yeah. Hazard, like Michi Batuai, who I think is a very underrated player in general, Trossard. Uh, these are players coming off the bench that are fantastic yeah. players that would be starting for Denmark on the other side. They would be starting for a lot of the teams in this tournament. And I think that Belgium is extremely versatile. Now, as a contender, I think they're going to go far because of the draw they got. I mm-hmm. think uh, they have a path that's relatively easy. It's how I feel about, um, you know, the Netherlands. I don't mm-hmm. think the Netherlands are particularly a great side. They're not managed well at all. De Boer is a no. terrible manager, mm-hmm. but they have the easiest path in this entire tournament to make it to at least the semifinals. Um, but yeah, I think I think Belgium has a chance because whenever you have players that are true game changers, like Kevin De Bruyne, like Romelu Lukaku, and when he, you know, is on Eden Hazard, anything can happen. You know, it's it's the same thing that could be said. I know I always go back to this, but with Portugal in the past, mm-hmm. it's like really you had Ronaldo and then some very good players alongside him, but no game changers. But all mm-hmm. you need is that one game changer and it can make all the difference. And mm-hmm. we saw that again today with Kevin De Bruyne. The second he came on, the entire shape of the team, the energy, everything lifted. Um, you know, and I think that's big. I also think there's an emotional aspect to this that doesn't go into the stats where, you know, at, at the 10 minute mark with the stoppage for Christian Eriksen and all of that, you had Denmark mm-hmm. playing with every ounce of pride yeah. and energy that they have because they're at home and what happened to Christian Eriksen. Mm-hmm. A lot of me thinks that the Belgian team is just kind of, you know, feeling that and, and reeling from it and hearing the crowd in it. And, you know, I said to the guys, uh, 
in a chat that I'm in, if if Belgium can hold on to one nil till 20 minutes, it'll start to settle down. Now I was wrong; it was until 45 minutes. But mm-hmm. still, you know, you saw in the second half. I mean, if you look at the shots alone, I think Denmark had yeah 21 shots, only five on target, but 21 shots. Mm-hmm. I bet at least 15 of those came in the first half. Uh, I think it was a story, as they mm-hmm. say, a story of two halves. Whereas, you know, I mean, this is the kind of stat that that gets you uh, excited at night. It's Belgium had six shots total. Five of those were on target. Right. That's that kind of deadly play that wins mm-hmm. you tournaments like this. 21 shots and only five on target. That's that's not the way to win. Yeah. And, you know, the the uh, emotional lift and the adrenaline rush that Denmark's playing with can only last so long. Yeah. You can't carry that for 90 minutes. They were minutes. they were gassed in the second yeah. half. Of course because they that you know it evens out and now your actual fitness which is probably been affected by what's going on the real the realness of what's happened the disturbance in their in their normal routines you know the they I know both Denmark and Finland players have talked about trouble sleeping uh trouble eating that all comes yeah. into play in these tournaments Absolutely. when you have such quick turnaround between matches. And like think, you said, and- you know it's the doing of UEFA for forcing them to play. Yeah. That I mean, but, but the net. thing is, is in reality with something so, so intense like this. Now mm-hmm. we know now that Christian Eriksen is okay. Right. You know, he's having an LCD placed in his heart so that, mm-hmm. you know, he should be totally fine. Whether he'll play again, that's a different story, that's but different story, yeah. it's still just, I think this is, you know, I feel bad for saying this, but I think the best thing for the mental health of these Danish players is to be out of the tournament so that mm-hmm. they can all come together, reset. be with their families, you know, mm-hmm. go see Christian and all that kind of stuff, because you can see it in them. Like there's wild eyes, you know, that kind of like that, like you said, the adrenaline, the energy, the emotion, they're all playing kind of on tilt and, yeah. you know, it's not safe for them. It's not great both mentally and physically for them or the people they're playing against. Yeah. It's, it's like relying on a sugar rush almost yeah. because you know, it's, <laughs> it's going to spike and you're going to feel like you can do it. But then yeah. you're going to crash. And I think they obviously they hit the crash. And we'll see what they do against Russia. But again, it's it's like flipping a coin. They could come out and have a brilliant performance, you know, rally. But how many times can they really rally together and pull and off? How many you times know, do they want to? Right, you know, exactly. Like- it's one thing once. It's another thing. By the If you get into the round of 16, what's going to be left in the tank for this team? Like you said, yeah. I don't think... Um, there's going to be much there for them when they, when they get there because they've just exerted so much energy and so much mm-hmm. of so much focus and just you know um, the things that happen to a player is, for example is sugar levels when you when you do go through this type of stress mm-hmm. it, it, and it, I use the example of sugar but really blood sugar does work like that and eventually you you get that crash because you're you're Rhythms are off, you know, your routines are mm-hmm. off, your your nutrition falls because you who has an appetite to eat the same way, you know? It's very yeah. hard to focus. I mean, there's a reason they give us grieving time in, in jobs when something happens. Yep. Because if you go to work the day after one of your friends or your parents has a heart attack, how much are you really focused on what I mean, how much can that even matter to you at that point? Yeah. And I I, I don't I know how this agree. can eat. Yeah, I don't even know how these games can really matter that much once they get over the emotional part of it. Yep, agreed. I, I, yeah, you said it perfectly. Because, yeah, it's just perspective takes over. And um, so the table 
And we got one more in this, right? Yep. No, this when is the tail they played yesterday. Yep. So Russia and Finland played yesterday. So we got Belgium with six points, Russia and Finland right now with three, and Denmark with zero, like we said. Um, possibility outside shot that three teams end up with just three points, and one of them at least will make it. Um, pretty much everybody's got their fate in their hands right now. Denmark mm. a little bit less, but everybody else, um, a draw will do for either Russia or Finland right now. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they approach these final matches and how I, Belgium I approach it too. Uh, yeah, I mean, Belgium again, and, and this is what was part of my capping this game today is believing that a big part of why Belgium would win this game is because now they can coast because, Mm -hmm. you know, their match day three is against the easy quote easiest team in Mm -hmm. the group. Yeah. And so very much like I was saying about the Netherlands and North Macedonia, uh, you know, this is a spot where I think you have um, Belgium being able to kind of take it easy against Finland and, you know, Get, I, again, I think they'll get all three points, but I would be shocked if we saw De Bruyne and you know Lukaku go the full ninety, and because they want to conserve their energy for yeah. the next round, and they don't. There's no way that they're uh, losing hold on first place in this group unless they get destroyed by a team that averages less than 0.4 goals a game on the international yeah. level. Right, and I'm hoping that in this third game we get to see the young player Jeremy Doku from Belgium. Mm. Um I'm a big fan of his. I've been I remember I saw Anderlecht play two years ago when he was 17. Nice. And I've just been following the player ever since. You know, it's very up and down for him. Uh mm. not many 19 year olds at this tournament. So uh, just to be in the squad is a sign of his yeah. quality and he now plays at Rennes in, in France. But um the fun part when a team has six points and mathematically are through is sometimes the chance to see a player you wouldn't otherwise see. Mm. And it's fun to see if these young players or these less utilized players can really seize the moment and really make a name for themselves on the international stage. Yeah. And it's a great opportunity for them to make that uh, splash in, you know, a game that otherwise isn't exactly the height of competition. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so the nightcap was the Netherlands and Austria. Mm. And uh, again, business as usual for the Netherlands. Uh, yep. Depay scores from the penalty kick, from the penalty spot in the 11th. Dumfries scores again um, in the 67th. Uh, we look at their lineup. I don't think much changed from, from the weekend. Mm. It looks just about the same. Uh, oh, Matthias Delict was Matthias Delict was in, so that was a change. We didn't see him against uh, the Ukraine. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it, again, as you said, they're maybe the worst managed team at this this uh, competition. <laughs> well, and and DeBoer's out after this competition anyway. Yeah. So, you know, it's an I, interesting I, kind of. They know is, he's gone. Yeah. yeah, he's kind of in the same boat as Yogi Low, but yeah, but the team's taking care of business. Whereas, you know, Germany's under a little more pressure because they're in a tougher group, but were Germany in a easier group, they'd be in the same exact situation where oh, yes, they're getting the results, but the fans can't wait to see the manager go. Yeah. Um, this Memphis is, this is also yeah, yeah, a game ahead. where if you, if you watched it, the run of play was, this was a four nil game that mm-hmm. finished two nil. Uh, I mean, right. Depay, Depay missed an open net from, 
maybe two yards out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Don't get me wrong. It was on the bounce, but all he had to do was barely put his foot to it. It would have scored. Mm -hmm. Instead, he tried for the spectacular and skied it. But yeah, this, this game was just Netherlands running over Austria who, you know, I I thought Austria would be a better side than this. I thought Mm -hmm. they'd have a little bit more fight in them. I thought they'd finish third in the group, uh, but you know, get a win here. It's just, it's looking like they're a little bit more out of their depth than uh, I assume they were. Yeah, like they're in a little bit over their head here. And, yeah. you know, David Alaba is their captain, center back. But there's not a lot of recognizable names there. you got Marcel Sabitzer. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah there's not a lot and of... And stop. <laughs> yeah, and stop. Yeah. I believe they, they got a, a core of, of RB uh, Salzburg players. But, yeah. you know... I mean, and the, don't get me wrong. They have, yeah. like, I... I like you said, Spitzer and obviously David Alaba, but I also yeah. like Schlager as well. Um, yeah. And Limar's or Liner, excuse Liner. me, not Limar. Limar and Liner, Liner yeah, yeah, with with the N. Yeah. Um, I think he's a very very good wing back. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just it's just a situation of a team that outclassed the other, and it showed for the full ninety. Yeah. Um, so not really much to, to no. say about this. What a, no. Yeah, what a boring group to talk about because it's pretty <laughs> much just like, well, you have the Netherlands as a foregone conclusion, and then who is the least worse between Austria and the Ukraine? And, well, now we know. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it is pretty much going according to plan. Um, we got so one round left to go, obviously, one match day mm. to go. And looking at the table, we have... The Netherlands, obviously, with six points. Ukraine with three. Austria with three, just like you said. Yeah. And I believe, yeah, they're playing each other in the last on the final day. So exactly. So uh, that'll be for second and third. If they draw, they probably both advance, which is never what you want to see going into it. I, I don't think. I don't think <laughs> Ukraine's playing for a draw here. Yeah, they, it's not in their nature. So that no. that's a good thing. Um, that is one of those things. That genuinely, I. I tell people this all the time is that the eastern european and german teams never play for a draw right it, it doesn't matter if DNA. it's if they have won the group already and it's north macedonia they are playing to win seven nil to mm-hmm. make sure that the goal difference sticks you know it's, right they're those type of teams yeah so like you said this is pretty much a foregone conclusion uh we just don't know if it'll be Ukraine in second or if it'll be Austria in second. So that, yeah. that wraps up day seven as far as uh, the match play um, overall, maybe our, I thought it was still a good day because, because mm. Denmark brings Denmark, Belgium brought a lot of storylines. Yeah, um, absolutely. And we got an exciting um, game for the neutral in Ukraine versus North Macedonia. Yep. Um, so again, every day this tournament's giving us something. I wanted to ask you, I didn't get a chance the other day when I meant to ask this. What do you think of the TV coverage so far here in the U.S.? Well, I have to say, because it's a disclaimer anytime I talk about them, but how fucking dare ESPN show Christian Eriksen getting the AED put against him yeah. how dare they and how dare yeah. they show his girlfriend or wife like and crying in uh, Casper Michael's arms yeah just, that yeah just that was unbelievably classless and just I can't believe that happened I hope whoever was the director that studio director was fired but other than that I think the coverage is good the only problem I have is that I think Twelman is one of the biggest just mm-hmm. one of the worst things to happen to football commentary mm-hmm. um i'm a big tim howard fan 
so I love seeing him there. And, you know, I think ESPN's analysts are all right. Uh, and the reason yeah. why I think they're just all right is don't get me wrong. They're extremely knowledgeable, uh, Craig and Steven Nichols and, you know, all the boys, but I feel like because they were kind of the first big ESPN footy analysts, mm-hmm. they kind of yeah. act like they act a little bit smug about, I don't know that, you know, they yeah. just feel like, Oh yeah, we know football and nobody else does. And we're talking to Americans who don't know football and nobody else does, but mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's, not ESPN's fault, but yeah, I just, I think it's all right. I can't complain. I think the uh, tactical cam coverage is fantastic. I think the actual production of when they're playing the game is, you know, second to none. I think mm-hmm. ESPN knows how to, how to shoot again, show yeah. soccer. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I, I love that. But yeah, I just, I, I still cannot fathom what the technical director was thinking on opening day. Yeah. So, you know, and I know the, British broadcasters. I'm not. I don't remember if it was ITV or if it was BBC that had that particular match, but they got they got hammered just as bad by, by their viewers because they did the same thing overseas. And I've seen a lot of international uh, broadcasters all getting criticized because it's like they got caught up in wanting to have the images because they have the rights. And I've read in a lot of different blogs and a lot of different um, opinion pieces that just because you have the rights doesn't mean you use them. It's yeah. not always it's not always the right thing to do. And I agree with you. We didn't need to see that. I mean, imagine he had passed away. Uh, I mean, I mean, even, even watching it, it's horrifying. Like it's see... horrifying. Yeah. And we now know because Casper Schmeichel has said so that he and, and Christian Erickson's wife thought he had passed away yeah. at the moment that they were being filmed. And um, of course, when you see the players holding up, you know, blankets or sheets or whatever those were to, to block the camera, it looked like they were blocking a corpse. Like, like yeah. I didn't, you assume they knew something we didn't, but fortunately that wasn't the case. And I mean, I mean, just the fact that you see on live TV, the naked chest of a yeah. person being administered, you know, a defibrillator right. and CPR. That's a horrifying thing for any young fan watching for anybody, you know, for anybody watching. It was for me. Yeah. And on top of that, it's also like, if or anyone player, who's been there and had yeah. their own, history with that you know absolutely i mean if the players are blocking it that probably means don't fucking show it yeah that's they should have cut to the studio and like uh someone had said on one of the shows and it goes that's when you throw on like a a video of an early game yeah and you say we'll be back when we have any details yeah or or go to commercial for 25 minutes like if you have to play an endless loop yeah if it's that big of it like for i mean i'll never forget the fa cup final 20 12 uh when your man collapsed for the same reason yeah and they literally just said we'll be back yeah and eventually they were you know it's and the game was canceled and just like or not canceled but postponed and everything i mean just i feel like this was a cacophony of errors from uefa and dspn but yeah and um espn got a lot of flack too uh for in the opening ceremony missing the Andrea Bocelli performance, which was funny because the internet went on fire that night, yeah. um, which showed a little bit of a lack of understanding of the culture, I think, because for a lot of football fans, that's something they want to see. Yeah. And they don't want to see ESPN promos of what's to come. I mean, and of just 
you know, another story of that that we see all the time from you, you know, a sports center type story yeah. that we, we get all the time. And um yeah, they, they did it, so much so that they they put it on YouTube after, shortly after ESPN put on their YouTube channel, they put the performance. But it is, you know, you're in Italy. Nissan Dormer is the tune or the anthem of Italia ninety. That's what I thought was cool about it. Mm. You're tying together the past to the to the present. Uh, the last time a major tournament was played in Italy. And then they show the entire hologram of Bono singing, who's not even ah, there. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and, you know, and I felt like the Super Bowl again, you know, with these hologram performances. And but also, who gives a fuck about Bono? Like, ah, <laughs> oh, God, just go away already. Jesus. And yeah. also, like, a hologram? Dude's not even dead. What is it? That, bad that's, for his eyes point, to be alive? Right? Performance? Like They're playing instruments in the stadium, and then they're playing a recorded voice singing. Oh, God, I hate like, Bono so much. I hate Bono so much. He is <laughs> just the worst. Like, I think, I think, you know, South Park said it best. How can you do so many great things, be such an amazing person, and still seem like such a piece of shit? I just... <laughs> He that is sums the worst. It up right there. That sums it up. Yeah, I I this year uh, really came to like CBS's coverage when they did the Champions League, mm, and yeah. I, they changed it up, but they were fresh, and I liked their U.S. Mexico coverage. Yeah, bringing in personalities like Clint Dempsey. Um, it, and, it's I mean, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Talk about talk. talk about the fact that as a person who, you know, especially in the group stage, I I try to watch every game that I can, and of course mm-hmm. they fucking schedule them all at the exact same time the Golazzo show i mean yeah it's red, it's red zone exactly. for soccer fans it's the best yeah. thing ever yeah exactly and uh so i i hold commentary and and you know the broadcast to a very high standard yeah so um reese davis is doing soccer for the first time <laughs> and i thought it was funny when 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 uh you had the own goal for germany there for mats hummels he turns to McManaman and just says, "Can you explain how a player at this level scores in his own goal?" Ah, oh, dear. And it's like, listen. I mean, there's a long history of using traditional American sport pundits yeah. or pre- you know presenters in soccer. I mean, Fox, the worst ever, trying to force Gus Johnson on on the Champions League. Well, what about uh, what about wasn't it? Was it Fox that for like, and don't get me wrong, I watched a lot of it. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm here to say he knows his shit about soccer and he mm-hmm. could have gone, he could have gone the way of doing professional soccer. But like mm-hmm. for like five years, Fox had a deal. Maybe it was CBS had a deal with Steve Nash. And as an it American, was it, was it was TNT. And as yeah. an American, every time I saw him, I was like, what the fuck do I care what you have to say, Steve? Yeah. You're famous for being a basketball player. And again, yeah. I, I will say that he was very eloquent. He knew soccer extremely yeah. well, but just like if you're trying to appeal to Americans, why yeah, not any, like, I mean, I hate the guy, but Alexi Lawless, everybody knows Alexi Lawless. Everybody yeah. knows Tim Howard, Clint Dempsey, Landon Donovan. Like these are the guys we want to see. We don't want to see yeah. an ex basketball player. Yeah. What are it, we doing here? Right. It, it, it was a bad attempt at trying to be cool. And trying yeah. to be hip, and he was there because, for so long. And you remember they also had the the show, like the studio show, where they wore like jeans and stuff too to look, uh, yeah. to look cool. And that's that's my tra- favorite. 
they ended up walking out on their contract in the Champions League without without fulfilling it. They ended up giving it back to UEFA. That's why CBS picked it up a year early. But it's just I mean, yeah. That was that was bananas. I the first time I saw Steve Nash, I was like, this is insanity. Yeah. The the good thing, what I do like is this has been treated very mainstream by ESPN. That um, is a hundred percent true. And I love know, that and, they put the Euro tag on all of their highlights. It's yeah, not just exactly. random clips. Right. And a lot of times this sport gets put behind, you know, a streaming wall, which mm. there's pluses and minuses. Cause when you're on streaming, you don't get so many ads, you don't get so much interruption. You get the deeper analysis yep. when you're on the big network, you get, you know, less, less depth, but you're in way more homes, obviously. Mm. And you're much more visible. And I think they have done a good job treating a, a tournament. This is the important thing. They're treating a tournament. The United States is not in as a major tournament yeah, and they're giving it the respect. I think that it calls for even because for so long, soccer coverage in this country gets, it revolves around the U S participation, whether it's the women's world cup, it's the mm -hmm. Olympics or it's, you know, the men's world cup where they didn't even end up sending much of their staff to Russia because the U S wasn't there yeah. last time Fox didn't. So I think ESPN does a, better job than fox for example in presenting mm. these major tournaments and um i i do like you know espn fc coming on at five o'clock is always good too because they'll they'll break it down for the the real diehard soccer guys they'll they'll break it down deeper <laughs> and yeah. you know and they all have their own personalities and the banter's great so mm. it I think they've done a pretty good job aside from like you said the whole christian erickson thing that it sounds like nobody got right from UEFA to television to yeah, it's you know. it it seems uh, it's one of those very very difficult situations, and especially in the world of today where they put everything on TV in slow motion and close up and yeah, you know, I'm just glad right, they didn't show the clips of him collapsing. Yeah, exactly. And let's uh, let's take a look at tomorrow's matchups quickly. Um, yeah, we got so we got the 9 a.m. game is Sweden Slovakia. Mm -hmm. uh, a you know, both teams need a result here. Slovakia did well in the first in the first game, so they're going to be eager to to yep. put themselves in the next round. Um, do you, this is a great Sweden? opportunity. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I love Sweden in this spot because mm -hmm. Slovakia, very much like Finland, they, I, I literally say this is the um, you know same thing as the Finland Russia game in the sense mm -hmm. that you have a team that is not good in Slovakia that won their first game that they shouldn't have won. And then right. a team in Sweden that, you know, looked extremely defensive against a team that should have beat them in Spain. And so the betting markets are undervaluing Sweden here massively. Uh, I think Sweden get a very comfortable win here. I, I would argue to nil as well, something along the lines mm -hmm. of, you know, two nil, three nil, three one, something like that. But I do think Sweden just has, you know, very solid talent, a very solid defense, which we saw against Spain, and they'll be hard mm -hmm. to break down. Yeah, and I don't think they're going to leave themselves very exposed either. They're very disciplined. Yeah. And they get Alexander Isak that showed, you know, moments of brilliance against Spain mm. too in the attack. Uh, really quick feet, really light on his feet. Emil Forsberg's a player we all know. Uh, oh, yeah. he, he, he's a very good player. So I, I tend to agree with you. Um, we're going to see what, what Slovakia can bring here. I mean... A point for them would be almost like a victory because that. Oh, I mean, they'd be through to the next round. They'd be through to the next round, which they never expected. It'll they'll go home heroes if, if yeah. that happens. Um, but I, it'll be interesting to see Sweden have to change the approach just a little 
because they're not going to be able to, they're going to have to play the other half of the other side of the ball that they didn't really have to yeah. worry about against True. Spain, but there's True, quality but there mean, to do it. Yeah. I mean, you said it yourself, Forsberg, but also Berg and Itzak, yeah. but especially Forsberg, these are all players that play, you know, as pretty much their number nine or team's mm-hmm. central striker. Uh, and you have all of them and especially Forsberg. I think he's deadly. I think that Sweden's game plan against Spain was, Hey, we're all going to sit back and, yeah. you know, we're going to let it all happen and play for the draw. But I think against Slovakia, you'll see that Sweden have a very, very solid team front to back, obviously not, you know, um, one of the best teams in the tournament, but in comparison to Slovakia, they have an extremely yeah. solid, full 11. Yeah. And the same goes for them. They get the win here. They're on four points. They're advancing. So they got all the, all the motivation you're going to need. Yeah. Yeah, This This is is it. This is their must win. Yep. So that, that's that one. We got Czech Republic and Croatia at noon. Czech Mm. Republic also on three points after winning on match day one, Croatia have to win in my opinion here. Oh, Um, and, and again, I, I think this is very much like Sweden and Slovakia, where you have the Czech Republic getting a win they shouldn't have got. Right. Croatia, knowing that they weren't, Croatia was never playing England to beat England. And you can see that from the match. You watched it and there was very little attacking intent because they knew we are going to play one of our biggest national rivals in the Czech Republic. Um, and be able to beat them and Scotland. We just need to take those opportunities because I see Croatia coming out of this group with six points and that will be wins yeah, against I Croatia. Mean, they the and, that, right. Yeah. And they, and they, you, they it, had to know that going into that England game. Yeah. It looked like the plan was to focus on these two matches and to use as little energy as possible against England, not, yeah. not get embarrassed, not get blown out, uh, keep the goal difference under control and focus yeah. on getting six points here. So they'll get there older tomorrow. They're older, but when you look at these lineups, uh, you know, 10 times out of 10, yes, I know they're veterans, um, but I'm betting on Luka Modric and Ivan Perisic 10 times sure. out of 10 against the Czech sure. Republic. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And then the big ones yeah. at three at Wembley, England, Scotland, uh, mm-hmm. a rematch from Euro 96 at the, at Wembley, at the old Wembley. So uh, yeah. obviously for Scotland, Jesus. this is the final. <laughs> A chance I mean, to play England at Wembley. That, holy that's, shit. Yeah. That this is line has moved even has further it? now. Wow. England is minus 300. Talk about a no-play game for me. Yeah. Good God. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I said this earlier um, when I was talking about today's matches with um, you know some other cappers. And you have England that should be winning this game 4-0. Mm-hmm. But it's Scotland. Obviously, they're two of the biggest rivals in soccer mm-hmm. um, and Scotland always comes to play against England. I could see mm-hmm. this being a one nil game. Sure. I could see this. I could see this being a nil, nil draw. I do think like, you know, on paper, my brain says England three nil, but if you told me this was a nil, no draw, I would believe every second of it. That's why I can't touch this game because at minus 300, there's no value on England. No. Uh, and the next closest is taking the one and a half, not a chance um, with Scotland. I think they could get blown out. So you can't take the yeah. plus one and a half with them. It's just like this game is just a sit back watch and maybe it'll go to plan. But I'd love it if England lost. It'd make it real. It'd make for parody. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. It won't shock me if in the first minute, one of the England players takes a nice studs up challenge from from a Scottish Ooh, player yeah. just to set the tone and to let them know they're not going to. 
just yep. sit there and, and it won't be get dormant. called either. And this it won't game get called. Gonna be, exactly. It's going to be chippy from start to let's finish. Absolutely. If, if I already have the referee assignment, let's see what's here. Yes, I do. It's okay. So they got Antonio Mateo of Spain refereeing okay. this match. That that makes it interesting too. There's going to be a lot of whistles. <laughs> yeah, Damn, which will really? work in Scotland's uh, favor. Yeah, yeah I, I, that's not the the wisest assignment. I don't Spanish think. referee. No, nah, they needed. I, yeah, they needed a German referee for yeah, this. Yeah, I agree. A German or damn a Spanish you know, a referee. Something. Oh yeah. my goodness, this is going to be the longest game of all time. <laughs> Eight minutes of stoppage time. <laughs> can you can you imagine that? Like I can see this being the exact playout. Is it starts chippy, but whatever. Yeah. After 10, 15 minutes, England gets a goal, goes into halftime one nil. England scores immediately at the start of the second half, mm-hmm. and then Scotland with you know all their tournament hopes gone to shit, just yeah. absolutely start kicking the shit out of <laughs> England's players. Like, like you said, studs up rash challenges. We could see a red card early. Uh, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. If they, you know, the, that's lights out for Scotland. If, if England win this game. So, Oh yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it, it's goodbye. It's like Denmark, they, you know, it's yeah. no, I'm sorry. You're, you're not doing it. Yeah, Scotland needed a result against the Czech Ooh. Republic. They didn't get it, and they put themselves in a real bad situation here. Yeah, and and looking at the line, oh my goodness, I I would be I would say one of the best bets for me tomorrow would be a red card. <laughs> yeah, because you have four players on this Scottish team who hate English players in O'Donnell, mm-hmm. McGinn, Hendry, and Cooper. And obviously, you know, you have you have players like McTominay and Andy Robertson who play in the Prem, but and, right. and Armstrong, but and McGinn. But yeah, I just I I think this is going to be probably the most physical match of the tournament. I agree with that. I ex- I'm expecting to see some bodies get thrown around and big time. Um, it should be a real good ex- uh, environment at Wembley too. With the, oh, oh yeah. even if even with the reduced crowd with two sets of supporters, it should be a real festive uh, crowd. Mm. So. I think that's going to wrap it up for tonight. Thank you for uh, coming on again. Um, yes. Glad to have you back. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Got some good games tomorrow, and uh, well, we'll know. We'll, uh, this group will take more shape also tomorrow. Oh, so yeah. once we get through, uh, any anything else you want to say about today, yesterday, anything? Uh, the only other thing that I have is uh, just. Check out, uh, make sure to be listening to all the podcasts that you do because mm-hmm. they're freaking awesome. I listen to them when I'm not on them. So yeah. they're all great. And we got some amazing Euro matches coming up. I mean, talk about Portugal, Germany. That's going to be absolute yeah. fire. Spain, Poland. Yeah, we got some great matches coming up. Yeah, I love the Euros. I mean, I used to love it when it was just 16 teams because every match was 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 like yeah, that. Everything was yeah. a final. Everything was because you could, you know, it was only eight teams advancing out, out of the yep. 16. So they, they added, te- but it's still got that feel, that big game feel. And, and absolutely, uh, it, it, it feels when you watch it now, it doesn't look any different than the World Cup. Mm. It, it, you know, yes, it's only Europe, but there is a level to which it's presented. And, the, no. To me, the players don't look like they're going any less hard no. if it were a World Cup. I really well, think these players hold these two tournaments kind of in, in the same. I would I would argue it's mostly because the Euros is the World Cup. Mm-hmm. I mean, the best team in Europe in general 
is going to beat any team from the Americas, mm-hmm. any team from Asia. You know, I mean, Brazil every now and then kind of makes yeah, a but run. It has, but it's been a long look time. Look what to Brazil last time they went far. And it was because yeah. they were in their home country, but they got right. destroyed by Germany. I mean, right. you know, Europe, Europe owns the World Cup. So the Euros is like, the Euros is the Champions League for internationals. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. And it's true. And yeah. uh, again, yes, France is the the favorite, but you've got after that a group of four or five teams. And yeah. Anybody, I mean, anybody, can, the draws, once once we know who's advancing in what places, we'll yeah. then be able to see who's got a path to the final. And like you said, the draw looks good for teams like Belgium and for the Netherlands. But yeah. And and I will say this, uh, you know, as a, as a precursor to your show tomorrow, as well as what I'm most excited about for Saturday, thank God that the France and Hungary game is the first game of the day on Saturday because if they already knew the result from Germany Portugal mm-hmm. if Portugal won that game France would be like we don't need to try because right. we're through we're through but but because that's not the case they have to win that game mm-hmm. and I'm excited to see France play against a team that they will be on the front foot against Germany they were happy to sit back and counter yeah. against Hungary they won't be able to do that so it'll be good to see France actually push it to the limit and play mm-hmm. the way that we all think they're capable of yeah, they're not going to be able to control without the ball the way they did. They controlled Germany yeah. without having. They made Germany do all the work, is what they did. Yeah, we'll they see if we'll see if they're. Around. You know, like you yeah. can't you can't sit back the whole game uh, and win a no. final. We saw that with France and Portugal, and yeah, you know, four years ago, that's what they tried yeah, it to was do. And Portugal won it, and and once Ronaldo came out injured, they were like, "Oh crap! Now to what do we do? Our whole plan yeah. was was around stopping him." <laughs> and yeah, look almost, who scored as well. I mean, yeah, yeah exactly. That was a but great final for a nil-nil yeah. in regular regulation. Right. And that's, that's I mean, what's great about these tournaments, you never know who the hero is going to be. It could be yeah. the guy that jumps off the bench. I mean, I, for Portugal, it was Rafa the other day. I mean, no one would have uh, guessed that. Changed the game. Changed the game completely. So, all right. I will talk to you tomorrow if you're available. And, yep. Um, Let's make it happen. Awesome. All right. And we'll break down these three games tomorrow and look forward to Saturday. Thanks again. Make sure you follow him at fade my play and you can follow me at PTB underscore media. All right. Also go over to the YouTube page for the PTB media network, hit the subscribe button, hit the little bell next to it and check out the homepage www.parkinthebusmedia.com. That's going to do it for tonight. That's day seven. We're a week into this tournament, everybody. It's flying by. I'll see you tomorrow. Agora vamos brindar novamente O um sorriso na cara está sempre presente O nosso caminho é seguir em frente Esquece o teu passado e vivo o presente E se for primeiro levo toda a gente Ao meu lado tenho os mesmos deste sempre Firme na corrida com a fé na minha vida até o fim só sabemos viver assim Olhem para mim Para tudo passa a palavra Digo que estou aqui Com família, amigos A minha volta para repetir Uma festa Forever Uma festa 
só loucura, vencemos o combate Isso aqui é futebol, fizemos com amor, sem raça, sem Chegasse aqui, mas agora vocês vão ter que superar ah, ah, ah.